What's up, everybody? And welcome to this week's edition of Da Vinci Cases. All right, and this week we're going to be going over an upper extremity anatomy case that involves the overlap of three high-yield diseases affecting the musculoskeletal system. So it'll be a good clinical example that integrates a lot of important concepts. All right, so the way this works is there's a clinical scenario with a board-style question at the end of it. Before we jump in and answer the question, we're first going to go through the case, point out the relevant clinical findings, and then go through the relevant anatomy and then use that to answer the question. So we'll go through the case. 45-year-old woman presents in clinic with a chief complaint of weakness in her right hand that has been persistent for three months with no apparent cause. So there's no obvious injury. She has had also periodically experiences numbness and tingling in the hand. So in her right hand, she's been having some weakness, some numbness, some tingling, kind of coming out of nowhere. These symptoms, meaning the, the weakness and the numbness, are triggered when she talks on her cell phone, okay? So on exam, she has 5 out of 5 elbow flexion bilaterally, so normal elbow flexion, normal wrist flexion bilaterally, 5 out of 5, normal finger flexion in the left hand, but 4 out of 5. So the way you test finger flexion usually in clinic is you have them just squeeze your fingers, so you're really testing all four at once. The right side's a little bit weaker than the left. Her right hand has decreased sensation in light touch and pinprick over the dorsal and ventral aspects, so both aspects of the hand on the medial half. So really the entire medial half of the hand. She has uh, decreased sensation to light touch. Triceps, biceps, and brachioradialis reflexes are 2 plus bilaterally, so she has normal reflexes in the upper extremities on both sides. Radial pulses are 2 plus bilaterally, so she has normal pulses on both sides. Her past medical history consists of diabetes, asthma, and a broken arm when she was 12 years old. So the question's asking you, which of the following nerves is the source of the patient's symptoms? To answer this, you've really got to figure out, well, what, what is her diagnosis? And then that will make this question really easy. So let's go through that. So what is the differential diagnosis really essentially based on the chief complaint? This is a very common complaint, especially in a primary care office or an orthopedic office. And it's something you could very easily see on a board exam or an anatomy exam. And so you'd really want to be aware of there's real three things that should come to your mind when you see something like this weak hands and then no obvious cause and then they periodically experience numbness and tingling another thing they'll commonly complain of is maybe trouble you know buttoning buttons or picking up their medications so really tr difficulty with fine finger movements so the three things you want to think about here are cervical disc herniation so the cervical disc you know, can compress one of the nerves and cause weakness in the fine movements of the hand. Carpal tunnel syndrome, obviously that affects you know, the median nerve. And then cubital tunnel, that affects the ulnar nerve, which is also responsible for significant intrinsic hand motion. So based on that, what is the most likely di diagnosis? Well, first let's, let's just review the anatomy of each of these real quick, and then hopefully that'll point us towards the right answer. So Let's first go over cervical disc herniation. So we covered this in the spine lectures, just to review. You know, you have this is a posterior view. Here's your vertebral bodies, your pedicles. Here's your spinal cord coming in like this. If you remember, spinal nerves in the cervical spine, they come down and they exit above the pedicle. So here's C6, and then here comes C7 like this. And then this, this is where it, it changes, actually. So then you have C8, because remember, there's no C8 vertebrae. And then it changes where C8 goes below C7. T1 goes below the T1 pedicle. T2, and then it continues on throughout the rest of the spine like that. So for these symptoms, it's going to probably be a, a disc herniation affecting the C8 nerve. And so that's probably going to be at C7T1. And that's where the, you know, just where it would impact this nerve as it exits the vertebral column. 
And so the sensory distribution is going to be ring and small fingers. That's consistent with our patient. That's on the medial aspect is the, you know, fourth and fifth digit. And then weak finger abduction. So that would be, you know, ulnar nerve innervating the dorsal interosseous muscles. And then no abnormal reflex, which is really also consistent. That's significant because some of these cervical disc herniations, and this is something you could see on a board exam, is that it can affect the reflexes. You could see hyporeflexia, say if you have a C5 nerve impingement, you could see the biceps brachii muscle have hyporeflexia. Carpal tunnel syndrome. So carpal tunnel syndrome is where, again, to review, we cover this in the hand lecture. So you have your carpal tunnel here. Here's the median nerve coming in like this. Then it gives off that recurrent branch to the thenar muscles, and then it goes off here. Does the sensory innervation, which you can see here in the lateral aspect of the hand. So it does the first three and a half digits. So it does half of the ring finger here, as you can see. This is only on the medial aspect. As you can see, the radial nerve is responsible for with the exception of the fingertips, is, is responsible for most of the dorsal aspect of the hand. And then it innervates the first two lumbricals here, and so that's going to give you the symptoms for carpal tunnel. Cubital tunnel syndrome, now if you remember here, the ulnar nerve is coming down the medial aspect. It travels through the cubital tunnel here at the elbow, and then it comes back out and emerges and travels through the forearm, and then enters the hand in the medial aspect, and then innervates these intrinsic hand muscles. And so here's another good picture of it here. And the, the cubital tunnel is formed by flexor carpe ulnaris on this medial aspect here, and it's, a, it's similar to the, the carpal tunnel. The cubital tunnel is this anatomical tunnel where the nerve travels through, and it can get compressed by you know inflammation. And since it's ulnar nerve compression, the symptoms are going to be felt in the ulnar nerve distribution of the hand. So you're going to have numbness in these fourth and fifth digits here, kind of in the medial aspect on both the ventral and dorsal sides. Based on that, what do we think is the most likely diagnosis? Is it, is it a cervical disc herniation? The other thing with cervical disc herniations is they typically have what's called radiculopathy, which is where the pain is in their neck and then it radiates down their arm and all the way to their hand. This patient does not have that. Carpal tunnel, again, you know, on the more lateral aspect in the medial nerve distribution, and then weak thenar muscles, and then cubital tunnel is more in the medial aspect and potentially weak intrinsic hand motion. Cervical disc herniation, not likely because there is no neck pain, there's no radiculopathy, the reflexes are normal. Typically, a cervical disc herniation is not exacerbated by elbow flexion. That's a key thing here in making the diagnosis is the elbow flexion. We'll talk about that in a second. Carpal tunnel syndrome, probably not likely as well. And the big reason here is your big clue is that the right hand has decreased sensation to light touch and pinprick over the dorsal and ventral aspects. So this patient has numbness in this blue section here and then this kind of grayish section here. And these are both the ventral and dorsal aspects of the medial side of the hand, which is ulnar nerve distribution. And that carpal tunnel is median nerve distribution. So it's not likely because if the patient had a carpal tunnel, they'd be feeling the numbness in this area. So it's not likely carpal tunnel. The other thing is that carpal tunnel is not really triggered by elbow flexion. It can be potentially more triggered by wrist flexion or even wrist extension in some cases. So really the most likely diagnosis is cubital tunnel syndrome because it makes sense. The, the patient has weak fingers. Ulnar nerve is responsible for intrinsic hand motion, especially the lumbricals at the fourth and fifth digit, which help do flexion of the MCP joints. So that's typical that you would see that. You know, you have this weak finger flexion. They have numbness and tingling in the ulnar nerve distribution, like we talked about, and then it's exacerbated by elbow flexion. So whenever you see this, so when someone talks on their cell phone, they have to get their phone up to their ear, and so you're constantly flexing your elbow. And so by flexing the elbow, it's the same thing as flexing the wrist with carpal tunnel. With cubital tunnel, when you flex your elbow, you're compressing the cubital tunnel 
thus you're further exacerbating the compression of the ulnar nerve, thus you exacerbate the symptoms and trigger the symptoms. And so whenever you see this in a stem, when it says these symptoms are triggered by when someone talks in their cell phone or some other kind of motion that involves elbow flexion, that should be really triggering you to cubital tunnel syndrome, especially if they're presenting with a chief complaint of hand weakness and, or, and numbness and tingling in their hand. So now that we go back to this, which of the following nerves is the source of the patient's symptoms? So the diagnosis is cubital, is cubital tunnel syndrome. So really what this question is asking for you is what nerve is the source of cubital tunnel syndrome or what nerve is affected in cubital tunnel syndrome? And the answer there would be ulnar nerve. Musculocutaneous nerve, yes, you would have some weak elbow flexion, forearm supination. This patient, even though they have their symptoms in their hand get triggered by elbow flexion, they don't have weak elbow flexion. They can still fully flex their elbow just fine. And they don't have any weakness in forearm because this would be biceps, but also brachialis is musculocutaneous nerve. Radial nerve would be weak wrist and finger extension, which she doesn't have any of. Ulnar nerve. Weakness of the following, she has, she has weak hypothenar muscles, she has weak lumbricals, she has weak, like we said, flexion at these digits, numbness over the medial aspect of the hand, that's all classic cubital tunnel syndrome. She does, it's, it wouldn't be median nerve, it's not carpal tunnel syndrome because you would see weakness in the thenar muscles, weakness in flexion of the MCP joints at 2 and 3, and then numbness over the lateral aspect of the hand. So again, our, our diagnosis is cubital tunnel syndrome, and ulnar nerve is the responsible nerve for the, this patient's symptoms. Just going on here, you know, we left some physical exam tests out just because it would have maybe would have made it a little too obvious. Really, the take-home points are that weakness in the hand and numbness in the hand, you want to be thinking of three things, cervical disc herniation, carpal tunnel syndrome, and cubital tunnel syndrome. Those are the three things you want to be thinking about when you see that. Then you're going to use the rest of the presentation, the history, and the exam, especially the exam, to help you figure out what exactly it is. And so what's some additional physical exam tests that could be given and why? So you could do Tonell's test over the wrist and the elbow. Tonell's test is just tapping where you think there's some nerve compression. You can also do it over the tarsal tunnel at the ankle. So you would do Tonell's test at the wrist and the elbow, and in the exam when someone presents with this, a thorough exam would involve that because you want to eliminate any possible cause of the symptoms. Then you would do a Phelan's test and then a carpal tunnel compression test. These would help you narrow it down, maybe tell you more so it's carpal tunnel if they're a little bit normal then, it, then maybe you would be leaning towards cubital tunnel because it's two different nerves. You're essentially on exam testing two different nerves. This would help you, again, help identify carpal tunnel versus cubital tunnel. This is kind of question two of this case. This is just to bring it full circle. So cubital, so patient has suspected cubital tunnel syndrome. What tests are you going to order to help diagnose it, really confirm it? So would you do an MRI of the cervical spine? Would you do an EMG of the upper extremities? Would you do an X-ray of the hand, MRI? Doppler ultrasound, which one are you going to do? So an MRI, you wouldn't do that because that would be to diagnose cervical disc herniation. This patient doesn't have any neck pain. They don't have any radiculopathy, not likely, and it's an expensive test. You don't want to get it unless it's absolutely necessary. X-ray of the hand, you really only do that for fractures. MRI of the wrist in the hand, you're, the only reason you would do that is for, if you think the patient has osteonecrosis, such as an escaphoid fracture. That's a, t a time you would do an MRI. You don't really ever do MRI for carpal tunnel syndrome. That's more so a clinical diagnosis and then an EMG, like we'll talk about in a second. Doppler ultrasound, that's for vascular injury. Could be like thoracic outlet syndrome. You probably wouldn't do that considering they have normal pulses. So what you're going to do is an electromyography of the upper extremities. So that's analogous to a nerve conduction study. 
this is gonna this study is gonna help you distinguish where the nerve injury is. If it's from the wrist, if it's at the elbow, is it at the thoracic outlet? Because thoracic outlet syndrome can also involve compression of the nerves, or it, it could tell you that it's not really anywhere in the upper extremity and it's probably more so coming from the cervical spine. If that's the case, then you would move to getting the MRI. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Make sure you check back every Wednesday for new Da Vinci cases. In the meantime, subscribe below and check out more content on our website at dviacademy.com. You can also follow us on Instagram for weekly posts and video. And if you want to see the video that corresponds with this audio, check us out on YouTube by searching hashtag Da Vinci Cases. And then lastly, if you have any questions about the content of this video or about DaVinci Academy, put them in the comments and our team will be sure to answer them. All right, thanks for watching. We'll catch you next week.